Our text today, if you have a copy of the notes, is Acts chapter 26. The book of Acts in the New Testament, chapter 26. And you see the title of the message. That's my story, and I'm sticking to it. And you will see it develop over the next few moments, I pray, as we share together in, in this message. But let me pause again and pray God's blessings and His Word. What a great worship experience, even though that I'm back there in the baptistry, I can hear you sing, and one of my favorites, he has never failed me, so well presented, and what a great time of worship. But let's pray together. Almighty God, how exciting it is to be here today. Every time we get the opportunity to come together with hearts of kindred mind and spirit out of love and gratitude to you and to be drawn closer to you. I pray now that in these few moments as we go into your word that we will be drawn even closer to you. Forgive us of our sins, forgive the preacher. And I pray for that anointing. In the name of Jesus we pray, amen. For the past two weeks, and I have give you a little recap there, I have been sharing out of, or the motivation and jumpstart for the messages has been in a book, Three Big Questions That Change Every Teenager. I've given you the title this week, and the authors uh, are Powell and Griffin. And they had surveyed 2,200 teenagers to get a sense, uh, to get a sense of some of the great questions of life. And I've emphasized each week, this is not just for teenagers. These are questions that as I have shared, whether you would ever be able to say, well, I've never asked those questions before. But I can tell you from my heart, every one of us are trying to answer them. These are worldview questions. These are the meaning of life questions. And I love the take of the teenagers there, and I bring it out today for all of us, whatever age group we are. That first question that we shared in is, who am I? Who am I? And I gave you several of the responses of the teenagers, and out of those who had accepted Christ, they were able to say that, I'm enough because of Jesus Christ. I may have felt like that I was not strong enough, smart enough, pretty enough, rich enough, but in Jesus Christ, I know that I am enough in Him. That second question is, or was, where do I fit? That people group where we can have that sense of belonging. And out of that, you know, there are those groups that people felt comfortable with, but the best fit is that with God's people, where we believe and we belong. And in response to the question today, point one of the message, that third question that was posed to these teenagers, or that they pose also, is what difference can I make? What difference can I make? It's called the big question of purpose, and the difference that we make 
is that sense where we are making a contribution to the world. What is it that we shall leave behind us when our time upon this earth is over? They identified about four different responses of the young people. One response was, I feel like that I'm making a difference when I'm helping others. It's a wonderful, wonderful thought. Another one said that I feel like I'm making a difference when I follow the rules, when I do what's expected of me by my family, by my teachers, by my church. It's called following the script. I've identified it as I feel like I'm making a difference when I color inside the lines. As long as I stay inside the lines, I'm okay. Well, naturally, a third response was, I feel like I'm making a difference when I make my own rules. When I throw the script away and when I am making my own decisions and I say these are individuals that color outside the lines. And another response was, I feel like I'm making a difference when I am working toward a good and bright future. These answers, they are wonderful, but there is another thought process in life and that is making a difference in Jesus Christ. Now, my youngest daughter, Sarah, gave me a gift last Christmas, which I'd give anything if she had not, and I'm going to try to live up to it, but it's called StoryWorth, if you've ever heard of it. She enrolled in this, and I get a question online every Monday night that I'm to write two or three or four paragraphs and send it in to StoryWorth, and by the end of the year, they will have laid this out, compiled it, and put it in a book. Now, this is just between us. I ain't answered the first question. And she'll say, are you writing me stories? And it's plausible deniability, I just keep quiet. Well, now here's the thing. I've saved the questions. It won't take me long because it's like, what's your favorite food? What was your favorite subject in high school? Do you stay in touch with friends in high school? If I'd have had any, yes, I would, you know? All kinds of things like that. What's your first vacation? Have you ever been out of the country? Things like that. It's not going to take me long to catch up. And my iPad crashed here about three months ago. And I mean, all the king's horses and all the king's men couldn't put it back together again, I'm telling you. So finally, I just got a new iPad. And then my iPhone crashed, and I got a new one yesterday. And I'm living dangerous. They had a black one or a red one. How do you like that, friends? You like that? I got me a red one now. But story worth. Think about it. I come to the end of the year and my daughter's going to have a book of my, of, of my story. But my story's a whole lot more than that. And Stephen Covey in his book, The Seven Habits of Effective People, one of them he says is that we need to live our life with the end in mind. And that is when we get to the end of our life, what do we want people to say about us? What do they want to reflect upon? What they want to... What would we want them to remember about us? Or what kind of book are we going to leave? As I've shared, often one of the most powerful phrases I've heard is that life is like a book. It is best to be lived in chapters. So what's the book going to look like? 
Well, in each of these, who am I? The authors offered what they considered to be a better answer. And that is, I'm enough in Jesus. Where do I fit? We fit in a lot of different places. This is not to exclude or discriminate against anybody. But the best place that we can fit is with God's people. And when we find our place with God's people, we're going to be a whole lot better friend with whoever else is in our people group. We're going to be a whole lot better friend. And so when we ask the question, what difference can I make? Point number two is, Jesus' better answer, and I love this, we're invited into God's greater story. In the story of redemption and of Jesus Christ and salvation, God has written the script and he's invited us to be a part of that story. And so when we come to the end of our life, we will be able to say, I was blessed. I was a part of what God is doing in this world. That is an awesome place to be. Acts 17, verse 28. The Apostle Paul is telling the people outside Athens on Mars Hill where they get together and just talk about every new thought that there is. The Apostle tells them about Jesus Christ and he says of Jesus, in Him we live and move and have our being. Jesus Christ is all in all and if we want to make a difference in life, we begin with Jesus. Now, his book is six chapters and I'm hastening because point number three is the most critical one today and I need that time to develop it. The six chapters in God's story and the first one is that of good. We're made in the image of God. Regardless of all kinds of theological controversy, I'm going to tell you we came into this world we came into this world with the anticipation of doing good and being good. But we're all flawed individuals, and so next what we find out is that we begin to sense guilt in our life because we find out that we are just not as good as we had hoped we would. For as Romans 3.23 says, for all have sinned. So all of us, we begin good, we're precious little children, But then we come to that age of accountability and Satan begins to lock in on us and every one of us makes some poor decisions and all of a sudden we begin to carry a load of guilt. But then, thank God, chapter 3 is that of grace. Grace is the gift of God. Romans chapter 6, 23, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. We then become a part of God's people. We then live a life of gratitude, of gratitude, and we live a life where God is our superpower and He is on our side and we are walking hand in hand with God. What difference can I make? We're all writing a story of our life And it's a whole lot more important than what my favorite dessert is. Amen? The answer is any of them. The table is full back there. We know God's story. And in each of these, they challenged all of us, not just children, teenagers, I mean, to say yes to Jesus and write a new story. 
And I invite you today to consider the story of your life, how you can make a difference, and what the purpose of our life is. And our story is in four chapters, and these are a standard outline of when we have the opportunity to tell somebody about Jesus, this is what we share with them. Chapter one of a Christian story is my life and attitudes before following Christ. Now, for some of us who were born in the church, grew up in the church, been in the church all our life, I think sometimes we have a dilemma when somebody's brought in to give a testimony, and I mean, they've been down the road and back, you know? And sometimes we're like, man, I ain't got nothing to tell. I don't, ha I, I don't have anything like that to share, you know? Well, thank God you don't. And they would tell you that too. But I love when I would go back to visit my parents there in Lakemont, Georgia, Rabin County, and we'd go into that little Creek Rock Church on Tiger River, and somebody would come up to me, and one time a lady came up to me and she said, I remember when your father brought you in here, you were two weeks old. Well, there's always one in a crowd. A lady came up and said, yeah, and I remember when your daddy took you out of here too, you know? <laughs> so that's my testimony. I was a bad little boy in church, okay? But this is amazing to me. Follow this. There are various attitudes and life by which we are before we come to realize our need for Jesus and give our life to Him. And these just unrolled as God gave them to me. My life and attitude before following Christ, one is that of innocence. I was saved at the age of 12. I'd pulled every stunt that a little boy could pull, but I never really saw myself as a hard sinner, amen? Now my mother might have said different, but when I came to Jesus Christ, I had basically a life of innocence, just a child coming to the age of accountability. The Apostle Paul, now in Acts chapter 26, I fail to say this when we turn to it, this is Paul's testimony and it follows this. And in verses 4 through 11, now my scriptures are divided up here, Paul's early life, Paul's conversion, Paul's post-conversion life. So you see his story. And he's telling it to King Agrippa. And before Saul became Paul and came to Jesus Christ, his life was one of ignorance. And I don't mean stupid or anything like that. But the apostle says in verse 4, my manner of life from my youth, he's talking about his life before he came to Christ, was spent from the beginning among my own nation at Jerusalem. All the Jews know, they knew me from the first, and if they were here to testify, they would tell you that I was of the strictest sect of our religion, I lived a Pharisee. And then in verse 9 he says about his persecuting of the church, I thought I was doing the right thing. I didn't know it was wrong. I thought I had to save this world from Jesus. He didn't know. He didn't know the story. He didn't know the full import. He didn't know what was going on there. And so when the apostle Paul, when Saul became the apostle Paul, it was like, whoa, did I ever misunderstand something? And so some of us today, We've not accepted Jesus Christ, but we just don't fully understand the whole story. Well, once he got the big picture, things changed in his life. 
Some people before Christ are just indifferent. Oh, what does it matter? What's it matter? God loves me. Nobody's going to hell. I'm just, I don't take all this serious. I think it's just a myth. I think it's just something that makes people feel good. And so some people, before they get saved, they are indifferent. Some are intellectuals. Those are my favorite people. Everybody that wants to explain away Jesus, explain away this, explain away that. That's what's happening in Acts chapter 17 when the apostle Paul is outside Athens on Mars Hill. They are up there. They are discussing every new thought in the world. And when the apostle climbs that hill because he's been invited to debate with them, he sees statues to all kinds of gods, not gods, and then he sees that when it says to the unknown God, they covered all their bases. And Paul says to them, I perceive that y'all are religious. And I saw a marker to the unknown God. Him I declare unto you. And some of them realized, I'm not as smart as I thought I was. Because the Holy Spirit moved upon them. And some gave their life to Jesus Christ. But there's another life that we live sometimes before Christ, and that is an insubordinate life. We're fighting God. We're running from God. We're in God's faith. face. We are insubordinate. And so, what is your story? If you've not accepted Jesus Christ, are you innocent and didn't know better or ignorant like the Apostle Paul, or do you just don't care? Are you too smart for Jesus? Or you be honest in your heart and say, I'm fighting God. I'm running from Him. And so then we write chapter 2. Remember, this is your story to those who've said yes to Jesus. How I realized my problem. How did I realize that I needed Jesus? For me, it was a simple gospel presentation. It was not in the sanctuary like this. It was not with a preacher. We had a gathered assembly in Sunday school. Back in those days, we had beginners, primaries, juniors, intermediates, and they called all us intermediates, teenagers, into one room. And they had invited a lady that I knew her, she lived up the road from me, did backyard Bible clubs in her garage, a great, great evangelist for children. And I love saying this, and you've heard me say it before. And she presented the gospel in an incredibly high-tech way. Now, it is hard for me to believe that for me, if I've done the math right, that was 61 years ago. I was 12 years old. If I add it right, I'm like 96 now, I don't remember. <laughs> but I was 12 years old. And she had a flannel board. A piece of cardboard with a piece of flannel on it. With cut out cartoon-like pictures 
with flannel on the back of them, and she started with the birth of Jesus, and she'd put that up there, and then she'd put this up there, and then she put that up there, and we were absolutely mesmerized. And Nancy, I was thinking, our kids are so addicted to video-type things, I'll guarantee you they would be amazed at a flannel board these days. They would be amazed at it. And she came to Jesus on the cross. And something broke my heart. Twelve-year-old boy. I get chill bumps now. I know my voice just fell down. You may not could hear me. But I'm sitting back there. And I'm seeing Jesus on the cross. And I'm not some diehard sinner. But the Holy Spirit told me that I needed Jesus. And that's the way it happens. That's the way it happens. The Spirit of God will move within you and tell you, this is your time. And it was a simple presentation of the gospel. Saul, on the other hand, which some people need, verse 12 through 18, how did Saul realize his problem? Running from Jesus, he ran head on into him knocked him off his horse to the ground, blinded him, and he got Saul's attention. Amen? And I'll tell you, when just a simple, sweet presentation doesn't happen, we need to pray that somebody will just run head on into Jesus. And he begins, and the voice of God says, Saul, Saul, why are you fighting me? Why are you running against me? Why are you persecuting me? It's hard for you to go along here. And some people will say, man, if I just had a Damascus Road experience. Well, I love J.D. Jones' sermon, The Difficulty of Escaping Jesus. And he said, God had preparing Saul for this moment. He'd been preparing him. And it's his idea, but I think it is right, that Saul was a troubled man because his worldview was failing Legalism. If I can be good enough, God will love me and I'll go to heaven. And he's reached the point where he knows it's impossible to be good enough. He is seeing the lives of Christians. They're happy and he's not happy. He's angry. He's fighting. He's lashing out. He's persecuting people. He is seeing the death of Christians. Stephen stoned to death. And as Stephen is dying in the rock pit, he cries out, I see one like the son of the man sitting at the right hand of the father. Jesus was ready to welcome him. And then he prayed as Jesus had on the cross, Father, lay not this sin to their cause. Saul is sitting there holding the coats of those who are stoning Stephen. I'll guarantee you that got his attention. And then all of a sudden he comes face to face with Jesus. And Jesus got his attention. So how did I realize my problem? Simple gospel presentation. How did Saul realize his problem? Head on with Jesus. How do others begin to realize their problem, maybe in the same way of Saul, and that is your, your life just ain't working for you, you know? It's just not working. Your philosophy, your worldview, it's just not, it's just not working out. People that you know got something you don't have. And you don't have that real sense of safety and security for all eternity. 
And at some point, that begins to get your attention. And so then we come to chapter 3. How I became a Christian. I love this. I'm a 12-year-old boy. And I'm a sinner. I don't know how old Saul is. I didn't try to calculate it. And he's a sinner. Now, honestly, I really had never done anything really bad because when the brother next to you, I'm the oldest of three, and stayed that way for 13 years until we got this other brother and we don't know why or that we didn't even know we needed him, you know? Boy, we're proud of him. He turned 60 last Sunday, retired Navy chief, we are proud of our baby brother, Doug. But Ken next to me is my high school state championship football player, Marine veteran. I knew better than to jump him. So, you know, now he didn't know better than to jump me, but I pretty well, and my dad was old school. And here's Saul, and he is putting people in prison and seeing some of them kill. But you know how I got saved? I got saved just like Saul on my face before God. Amen? We got saved the same way. We came from different places, but we got saved the same way. Who wonders why this chair is here? When that lady gave an invitation in Sunday school that day, me and my best friend, David Garrett, went down. We fell on our knees and put our face in a wood slat old chair like that and cried out to God. And I can hear David to this day crying, I want my dad, I want my dad. My dad, of course, was in a Georgia power plant that morning. And David and I got saved. Saul got saved with his face in the dirt on the Damascus Road. That's how he became a Christian. I became a Christian just like him, crying out to God to save me. This chair is here. Somebody needs to come to Jesus today. Somebody needs to come to Jesus. That's my chair now. It was in James's office. It's mine now. But he gave it to me. I said, James... And I just believe that it was the right week and it fits this here. I got saved just like Saul. And then when you get saved, it's going to be just like Saul. Crying out to God to forgive you. And then comes chapter 4. What being a Christian means to me. I go back to those six parts of part 2. I came into this world as a good person. But I became a sinner. But now as a Christian, I'm enjoying the grace of God. No more shame, no more guilt, no more blame. I'm a part of God's people. And I have a support group. And I can be a better friend to anybody, whether they're saved or not, because of Jesus. I'm able to live a life of gratitude and the older I get, I look back and I'm just like, wow, is this really been my life? Is this really been the story of my life? 
I was invited into God's greater story. And so are you to be a part of what God's doing in this world. And God is with me and will never leave me or forsake me and has given me help outside of myself. Well, that's my story and I'm sticking to it. Do you need to write a new story today? Anybody here need to start a new story in Jesus? That's what an invitation is all about. As we sing to come and say, today I invite Jesus. Today I realize that Jesus is the answer. Jesus is it. I realize that. I want to be a part of God's people. However he speaks to your heart, I'm here, and I would love to hear your heart and pray with you.